Hey, good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Online. Uh, my name is Steve Polk, Executive Pastor here at First Baptist. And our pastor today is bringing the third part of his series, A Messed Up Church. In this part of the series, we're going to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and talk about what's wrong with a little bit of conflict. You know, if you've lived even just a little while, you know that conflict is part of life. It's real. It happens uh, whether you are as kind as you could possibly be or if you're rough around the edges, it really doesn't matter. But conflict is going to come. What we're going to look at today as we dive into God's Word is just exactly how we can separate ourselves from the world and how as a believer we can actually testify to our relationship with Jesus Christ and how we handle conflict and what it does and, and what's most important when conflict comes to, comes to be real in our lives. Our pastor's going to do a great job diving into that. So let's pray together as he prepares to come. God, we thank you uh, for the opportunities you give us to show your grace and your love through conflict. We know conflict's going to happen. It happens in our homes. It happens uh, in our workplaces. It happens in our communities. And Lord, you give us tools and you give us ways and instruction through your word as to how to handle it that will best honor you and testify to your holiness and your goodness in our lives. We pray for our pastor now as he comes that he's able to uh, communicate the truths of Scripture to us clearly, that we can apply it, and it will change us for the better and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word notepad as Pastor Steve comes this morning. In the early years of my ministry here at First Baptist Church in Rock Hill, I had to make a difficult decision and terminate a staff member. It was a controversial decision. Not everybody was happy about it. And I remember one Wednesday evening when we were having our weekly Wednesday night dinner in the gymnasium downtown. Um, there were almost 200 people in the room, and there was one man who was rather boisterous and loud, came up to me, put his hand on my shoulder and said, I am so glad you did that. He needed to go. You did the right thing. And, and I knew I had done what needed to be done, but the whole time he was speaking, I was thinking, would you please be quiet? because there was nothing to gain by such a public display in making those comments where everybody could hear what he was saying. That same individual a few years later was part of uh, hosting dinners in homes trying to get enough people on their side to get rid of me as pastor. He was a man who was not afraid of conflict. In fact, he thrived on it at times, and there are people like that. Now, the, the truth is most people do not like or enjoy conflict, and, and they will do what they can to avoid it. But others, like this particular individual, seem to get a kick out of it, seem to be energized by it. He had no problem with conflict. The, the reality is there's going to be disagreements in life. Conflict is part of life, whether, whether it's in your family, with your friends, at work, in the neighborhood, at church, in your Sunday school class or life group. We don't always agree, and there are going to be differences of opinion among believers and churches, and sometimes that's going to show up in conflict. But, now, now hear me, too much conflict or dealing with conflict in the wrong way destroys relationships, tears apart families, tears apart churches, and can make a public spectacle, if you will, of the church, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
one of the uh, cities that Monisa and I have had fun vacationing in in the past is San Antonio, Texas. The Riverwalk is just a beautiful city, and we have a lot of fun there. And on a couple of different occasions, we have visited the uh, the Alamo. And someone said, this is a quote referring to the Alamo. He said, the Alamo started out as a church, ended up as a battlefield, and is now a museum. That same person went on to say there's a lot of churches today that have followed the same pattern, starting out as a church. But because there's too much conflict or they don't deal with it in the right way, they become a battlefield. And in time, if that continues, they become a museum. They become a messed up church. They become a dying church and maybe even even a, a, a dead church. Well, this month, we're, we're in a series I titled A Messed Up Church because in the New Testament, there was a messed up church. It was in the city of Corinth in Greece, and First and Second Corinthians in our Bible are letters Paul wrote to that church, a church he started, and then about five years later, after he had left, the church had become unhealthy, messed up, and were de- was dealing with a lot of issues, and he's writing this letter to them. And one of the ways they were messed up and struggling was they had too much conflict and they were not dealing with it the right way. He tells us in in Corinthians they, they were quarreling about a lot of things, fighting with each other, disagreeing with each other over a lot of things. For instance, one thing, they uh, they differed with one another about who their favorite pastor, their favorite Bible teacher was. Some said Paul, others Apollos, some Peter, and on and on they, they went. They, we, we learn from Corinthians, they were also fighting with one another about spiritual gifts and which members were more important because they had more important spiritual gifts and these others didn't have gifts that mattered as much so they weren't as valuable to the church. They were disagreeing with one another and fighting over cultural issues of that day just like some people do today. They had disagreements over how to deal with sin in the church, especially significant, serious sin. They were suing each other and taking each other to to court all the time. And and just one thing after another was a a source of conflict and, and problems in this unhealthy, messed up church. Now, you and I today don't have time to look at all of the issues they were having conflict uh, over. We're going to look at one. They're suing each other. They're taking each other to court and learn some lessons about how too much conflict or not dealing with conflict the right way destroys, brings death, ruins churches, ruins families and relationships. And, and part of what we're saying is we want to learn from them so we don't make the mistakes they made. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open it with me to the book of First Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and let's read the first eight verses. He says, does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous? Now, he doesn't mean that the public courts were always unethical. He means they're not believers and not before the saints. He said, you're not dealing with it yourselves. You're suing one another in public court. Verse 2, Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? Verse 4. 
So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account or no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not among you one wise man who is able to decide between his brethren? But brother goes to law with brother and that before unbelievers. So you're, you're taking each other to court in, in public courts, uh, suing your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 7. He said, actually then, it, it, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud each other. What he's, what he's intimating there. You do this even to your brothers. So here's this church messed up in so many ways, arguing about so many different things. And, and one area of conflict was they were suing each other in civil court, if you will, uh, in front of un. Uh, believers. It happens today. It wasn't just then. It happens today. Recently, uh, some disgruntled members of McLean Bible Church in Virginia sued the church and their pastor, David Platt, who is the the uh, author of that best-selling book, Radical, a number of years ago. They, uh, they alleged in their lawsuit that the church and the pastor had not followed the rules of the church in electing new elders, but the real issue was they did not like what he had been preaching and teaching when it came to race relations and other issues, and they were accusing him of being woke. They were allowing these cultural things to color how they were understanding his preaching of God's word. Now, the lawsuit was dismissed. It's been dismissed, but but in doing what they did, they were making a public spectacle of themselves, of their church, and of the pastor, and of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it still happens today, just like it happened 2,000 years ago in the city of Corinth. And there are other examples I could share with you, but the point is, it happens. For some reason, people still do that kind of stuff. And in this passage, Paul is shocked at their behavior. Look at verse 1. He says, does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor or his brother, dare to go to the law before those who are not believers instead of y'all handling it among yourselves? The NIV translates it. Do you dare do this? The idea is that are, are any of you so bold as to do something like this? Do you dare to do this. Paul says, I cannot believe you're doing this. That's the idea. That's the, that, that's the point he's making. I, I, I'm just flabbergasted, he says, that you have the audacity to sue one another in court. Now, let me clear up some things because I can just hear some of the questions people might be asking right now. Let, let me share with you a couple of things that the text is not saying. It is not saying that the church should handle criminal crimes, issues internally. God tells us in in the book of Romans and other places that he set up the government and courts to deal with criminal behavior. 
What we're dealing with in chapter 6 is not criminal behavior, but civil cases where people just have a disagreement. Maybe it's about money. He's not dealing with crimes, with, you know, crimes like sex abuse and physical abuse and, and, and fraud and other things. That's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about criminal activity. He's talking about civil suits. Criminal behavior, the Bible makes clear, is to be dealt with publicly and in the courts of the land. There's a, a pastor in Montana who really is, is, and I won't mention his name, but a right-wing nut job and is a confessed liar who has made up stories, has a publication in which he attacks people all the time. So just a warning, be careful. Don't believe much of what you read on the internet or what comes out in, in partisan publications or part or publications that are just by people far on the left or far on the right. Be, be, be careful. Don't be duped by a lot of that stuff. But this man had to resign his pastor, resign from the church last month for a couple of reasons. One, he's addicted to some prescription medications. And secondly, the police are investigating are investigating him for choking a member of his family and threatening them with a knife. The, the, the public court is the place where that kind of criminal behavior is to be addressed. So he's not talking about that, that, that hey, we, we, we don't deal with sex abuse and we don't deal with other crimes in the public courts. No, that's not what he's saying. He's talking about these minor disagreements between believers. These civil suits between this between between uh, b- believers here. He's saying in this in this chapter in these these verses that you and I as believers in Jesus should have enough love for one another, and enough love for Jesus Christ, and enough love for the church that we can deal with these minor issues and these small civil things internally. And if I cannot agree, if we can't agree with each other, then we'll get a Christian arbitrator to make the decision uh, between us. But we're not going to sue each other in public court over these minor things. That's, that's the point. So that's the first thing. He's not talking about criminal behavior here. The second thing he's not saying that the scripture's not saying is that we are to avoid dealing with conflict. In fact, in this passage, we are told how to deal with it the right way as well as what the wrong way is. So he's not saying don't deal with it. We are to deal with it, but do it in the right way. So what is the text teaching? What is God trying to show us here? There are so many lessons, so much truth here that speaks not only to lawsuits and civil cases, but but conflict in general that I I just want to point out three or four real quickly. Here's number one. Being here, here's the first lesson: being a positive, a positive public witness for Jesus Christ is a top priority for true disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. In Greek culture of the first century, it was common for people to take each other to court over little matters as well as big matters. But the court was held in the middle of the public square. And there were always crowds. It was entertainment. It was a spectacle. Think of it today when some trial captures the attention of the media and the public and it's put on television and people sit there and watch it all day and debate it around the water coolers at work. 
So these these people were used to taking one another to court, and, and it was done in public, and it was a spectator event, if you will. And, and God is telling us in this passage, don't you do that over these small matters, over these silver matters where you, you are taking people to public court and making a spectacle of yourself, a spectacle of the church, a spectacle of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 5, he said, it is to your shame that you do that. It's not something to be proud of. And verse 1, he said, do you dare to have the audacity, the boldness to do this and in verse 6 you're doing this before unbelievers now here's here's part of what you have to understand in this passage a big part of the focus is why are you doing this to one another but also why are you doing it to one another in front of unbelievers people who are not yet followers of Christ you are hurting the church you are hurting the gospel you are hurting the kingdom you are hurting your witness And you and I as followers of Christ are to care about our witness. Having a positive public witness for Jesus is a top priority for us. And we do not want to be, we we do not want to make a spectacle of Jesus and of the faith. Look at verse 7. In the middle of verse 7, he says that you have lawsuits with one another. Why? Why? Why are you doing that? He goes on in verse 7 to say, Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? Listen, he's saying that you having a positive public witness is more important and more valuable than money. More valuable than you winning in these small matters, in these small cases, in these smaller civil suits, not the big things, not the criminal things, but he's saying when it comes to these little things, your witness for Jesus, the testimony of the gospel is more valuable, being positive is more valuable, worth more than you winning or even having money. So he says why sometimes if you can't come to agreement, just accept that you may lose some money because Being a positive witness for Jesus is more important than you having that money. And so we can hurt our witness for Jesus by the way we treat each other in public, by going to court. But but here in America, it's not just taking people to court. We we, we can hurt the witness of Jesus in in, in the court of public opinion by how we talk about one another, our mouth, our mouth can make a public spectacle of the faith of Jesus and the church can do a lot of damage with our tongue when we talk out in public. A number of years ago, there was a, a mysterious disease that, that killed thousands of Tasmanian devils on the island of Tasmania. In fact, it ended up wiping out about 40% of the population. And they discovered that it was the result of a rare form of cancer. And what was really unusual when they tested all of these dying animals was that uh, the abnormality in the cancer cells were identical in each Tasmanian devil. Here's what happened. This rare form of deadly cancer started in the mouth of one Tasmanian devil. And these devils like to fight for food. They bite each other in the face. They bite each other in the mouth. And and when this one who had cancer was doing that, just a piece 
of that cancerous tumor fell into the wounds of the other devil he had bitten. And then as they continued fighting each other and others, gradually that cancer over a period of time spread and it wiped out nearly 40% of the population. You and I as followers of Jesus are to bring life to one another, not death, life to our church, not sickness, life to the community and to those who are not followers of Christ, not bewilderment and lostness. We are to be a positive witness for Jesus, not one who turns people off to the church or off to the gospel. What do your words in public What do your actions in public say about Jesus, say about the faith, say about the church? So the the first lesson is that us having a positive public witness for Jesus is a top priority for all of us who are genuine believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Here's the second lesson. Being a positive public witness for Jesus makes us winners in the eyes of God, makes us winners in the eyes of God. Look at verse 7 again. He said, actually then, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. He said, the very fact that you are doing this means you have already lost. It is already a defeat for you. The NIV translates it completely defeated. The New King James translates it utter failure. Actually, in the Greek of the New Testament, it's two different words. The first word means complete or utter, and the second word means failure or loss. And what God is saying is when we can't settle these minor issues, these civil issues with each other, he's not talking about criminal behavior, these civil cases, these minor things, and we and we make a public spectacle of ourselves and of the church, He says, in the eyes of God, you are already an utter, complete failure. Wow. Wow. Sometimes in America, we become addicted to winning. We become addicted to always asserting ourselves. But there are times in when we, we do that that God looks and says, you are a loser when you do that. You are a failure when you do that. Disciples have a very different attitude. And I don't know about you, but I want to be part of the group, and I imagine many of you do as well. I want to be part of the group that when we get to heaven, we hear Jesus say, well done. Well done. Not because you were busy at church, but well done because we were faithful to him and we did things his way. That's the second lesson is that being a positive public witness for Jesus makes us winners In the eyes of God. Now here's lesson number three. We will have a positive public witness for Jesus Christ when we do things the right way. When we do what is right. And two things in this passage about doing what is right. Number one, it means we treat each other the right way. Look at verse eight. He said, on the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brethren. 
One of the ways that we are a pop, a positive public witness is to not do what he talks about in verse 8, to not defraud one another, to not wrong one another, to, to be honest with each other, to, to not steal from each other, to be above board with each other, to treat each other the right way. That contributes to being a positive witness for Jesus. And not only doing that with one another, but doing that with people who are not believers. Doing that with people at work, people at school, people in your neighborhood, people that that are part of the team or the club that you belong to. Treating people right means that you are a positive, positive witness for Jesus Christ in the eyes of others. The second thing here about, about about doing what is right is not only treating each other right, but when there are disagreements... When there is conflict, dealing with it the right way. And, and, and the right way means we, we resolve it. But if we can't, he says in these minor things, these civil things, rather than going to court in public, find a Christian arbitrator. He talks about finding a wise man or a wise person, wise group, and, and presenting the information to them and let them decide. An arbitrator. There, there's an attorney in our church and he was sharing, sharing with me recently. He didn't mention any names or any of the details, so I don't know any specifics. But he, he shared with me that, that some years ago, two couples in our church came to him because they were having a financial disagreement. And they were asking him for help, wanted him to be an arbitrator. And so they set some ground rules. And after all the information was presented, he made a decision. I don't know what the decision was. I don't know what the details were. But when he was sharing that with me, I was just smiling on the inside and the outside because I said, yes, that's the way it's supposed to be done. They handled it the way God wants it handled. If you can't settle it yourself, and that's, that's the first way, but if you can't settle it yourselves, then get an arbitrator, a Christian arbitrator in these these small matters, and don't take one another to court and make a public spectacle of yourselves and of the church and of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, here's the fourth and final lesson from this passage of Scripture. Number four, remembering who we are. When I remember who I am, and and you remember who you are as, as a follower of Jesus Christ and as brothers and sisters in the faith, When we remember who we are, it shapes how we deal with issues and how we deal with one another. It shapes how we handle the the disagreements that come, how how we handle the disappointments and, and, and at times even the betrayals that come, how we deal with people. Look at verses two and three. He said, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Then verse three, do you not know that we will judge angels. The Bible makes it clear that you and I as followers of Jesus Christ are going to reign eternally with him, share in his kingdom. And in some way we don't understand and the Bible really doesn't describe, we will participate in the judgment of this lost and sinful world and in the judgment of the fallen angels who rebelled against God in heaven with, with Lucifer. And he said, remember that. 
You're going to judge the world. You're, you're part of, you're associated with Jesus. Somehow being in Christ means we're part of that. We're part of the judging of fallen angels. Why, he says, do you lower yourself then and submit yourself in these civil matters and these small matters to the opinion and the judgment of those who are not fellow believers? The, word, the very ones who are part of the world that you're going to be part of judging one day. You're submitting yourselves to them and these little things that you should be able to resolve yourself or resolve with the help of a wise believer as a Christian arbitrator. Remember who you are. That, that, that yes, you're, you are connected to Jesus Christ. You are a follower of Jesus and your destiny is amazing. Don't lower yourself. Don't make a spectacle of yourself in the eyes of this world. Remember who you are, that you are a brother or sister to that brother or sister with whom you disagree and are having an issue. Now, again, remember, we're not talking about criminal things. We're not talking about big things. Remember, that's your brother. That's your sister because each of you are related to Jesus Christ. There's a woman who uh, has a scrapbook from childhood, all kinds of stuff in it. And there's a note in it. The story behind that note is uh, she and her, when she was a little girl, she and her best friends, her best friend was named Cindy when they were eight, nine, ten years old. And uh, every morning, she and Cindy would walk to school together. In the afternoon, they would walk home together, help each other with homework, sleep over at each other's house, played together all the time. And, and one morning when they were walking to school, Cindy was walking too slow. And so this lady who was at that time a little girl looked at her and called her a slowpoke. And Cindy's feelings were hurt. And that afternoon, they didn't walk home together. They didn't help each other with homework. There was a sleepover plan for that weekend and it was canceled. Cindy's feelings were hurt and she got mad at this little girl. That went on for a few days and one day uh, a note arrived at this little girl's house and it was from Cindy. And uh, in the note, uh, Cindy had written this, you called me a slowpoke and I am angry at you. You are no longer my friend, Cindy. That was, you, know, you, can, you can see a little eight-year-old girl doing that, right? But she's clear. She's succinct. She says, this is how I feel. This is what hurt me. She, she expressed exactly what had happened. And uh, in those few days, Cindy and this little girl started realizing they missed each other. That they, 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 they love being friends and they, they missed being together and they, they had a conversation and, and Cindy apologized for walking too slow and this little girl apologized for calling her a slowpoke and they made up and, and you're saying, well, pastor, that's a cute story and it's a simple little story about children and it is. But you see, the thing is, they finally, finally remembered they were best friends. They were best friends. And that was more important than the, that one little incident of walking too slowly and being called a slowpoke. You and I need to remember, we're children of Jesus. We belong to Jesus. 
And we're brothers and sisters with one another. And not allow the little things, the civil cases, to make, you know, to destroy to destroy the relationships, to, to, to make a spectacle of the faith, to make a spectacle of Jesus, to make a spectacle of the church. We need to remember that being a positive public witness for Jesus is top priority when it comes to these little things because we belong to him and we're family. We're friends. Remember who you are. And uh, deal with life, deal with issues, deal with people the right way so you can be a good witness for Jesus and hear him say, well done. You didn't fail. You didn't lose. You're a winner because you did it the right way. God bless you. And I'll see you next Sunday.